0: I'm Marianne Kolbisak mcgee executive editor at Information Security Media Group. I'm at HIMSS talking to privacy attorney Adam Green of the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. Hi, Adam. Hi, Marianne.
1: Thanks for having me today.
0: Thanks for joining us. So, Adam, we're hearing so much about artificial intelligence, especially technologies like chat, GPT. What are some of the most common and or promising types of AI that you're seeing applied in healthcare these days? And what are your top privacy and security concerns.
1: Oh, well, at this point, it's just a matter of imagination as to what AI can do with healthcare. I mean, we've now seen for a few years um, radiology images, for example, and AI being able to detect tumors um, sometimes as good, if not better, than radiologists. Um, we can see it in areas like coding, uh, whether you're on the healthcare provider side looking to better, um, more efficiently do coding, or whether you're on the health plan side potentially using AI to review coding and, and detect abnormalities, so, um, you know, and just ChatGPT now, I think, is able to pass the medical exam to become a doctor, so we know where that's going. Um, so on the privacy side, you know, the continuing challenge t- just tends to be that there's a need for health information to be able to build this. And ideally, you can use de-identified information, but sometimes that doesn't get the job done, and that's where you get uh, navigating the privacy laws can be challenging.
0: So, with that said, what should covered entities and business associates know about how HIPAA, for instance, applies to the use of, private, of protected health information to develop or improve AI tools?
1: So, you know, there's the actual use, and that can be easy. So, you know, you might use AI for treatment, and that's permissible under HIPAA. The development side is definitely more challenging. So, um, there's. A lack of clarity out there with respect to, for example, when developing AI may qualify as healthcare operations. um, And that may be based on whether it's primarily focused on improving the particular covered entity that is providing the protected health information that's being used. Um, It could possibly be considered research to develop AI, um, but we don't have much clarity about if you're not publishing, but you're doing commercial R&D, whether that truly qualifies as research under HIPAA. Um, and even if it does, it's not out of, a get out of jail free card. You still either have to get individuals' authorizations, or an IRB or privacy board's waiver of authorization, um, or there's you know just that you you know none of the above. In which case, you likely need individuals' authorizations to use their health information to develop AI.
0: Now, HIPAA has two different recognized ways of de-identifying PHI that can be used for research, and would that apply? To- to using that data for AI, do you think? Uh, So yes, HIPAA
1: has two recognized ways to de-identify information, and that can be for purposes of research or for any other purpose. And so one of them is the safe harbor method, and that involves removing things like direct identifiers like name or social security number, but also indirect identifiers like dates related to treatment or zip codes and things like that. And if you've got a structured data set. that can be pretty easy. Um, The only challenge might be whether the resulting data is good enough for the purpose that you're intending. It's where you get into unstructured data that using the safe harbor method can be very challenging because, you know, finding in free text every date that might be relevant or things like that can be very challenging. The other method is the expert determination method where you bring in a statistical uh, expert to essentially document and deter- determine and document that the risk is very small. And that holds a lot of promise, but it can be expensive and time-consuming to engage such an expert.
0: Does it get even more complicated where, you know, there's sort of this push to, for healthcare entities to share data and, to you know, for patients to be able to access, access the data from everywhere? You know, if you're an entity and you're sharing your patient's data with another entity because your patient asked you to and that other entity all of a sudden decides they're going to use some of this data for AI purposes. Is that allowed?
1: I mean, interoperability more or less treats the information as subject to kind of the laws governing the recipient. So for example, if I'm a healthcare provider in Kansas and I get a request for treatment through kind of a health information exchange to send information over to a healthcare provider in Texas, then you know it's really not going to be under HIPAA at least, my data anymore, once it's been received by that other Texas healthcare provider for treatment purposes. And so it becomes likely part of their electronic health record and could feed into their own data sets that might be used for AI development. And so interoperability really leads to a flow of data. And at any point in that flow, it could potentially be scooped up, uh, hopefully for good purposes, for AI development.
0: And are there any other sorts of AI-related issues that we haven't touched upon that you think are worth noting that I didn't ask about? So a big one is sale of protected health information.
1: So essentially a covered entity or its business associate may not disclose protected health information in exchange for... Any form of remuneration, obviously the classic image is you know here's my pHI and you get back you know bags of money in exchange, but more challenging might be things like you know here I'm providing you access to my protected health information, um, and in exchange you're going to give me IP rights. Um, or a license to use the AI that you develop. And we've already had at least one case where a court found that that sort of exchange um, would qualify likely as a sale of protected health information. And so structuring these arrangements in a way that doesn't trigger sale of PHI prohibitions can be pretty challenging.
0: So what are you predicting in terms of the regulatory uh, offices, You know, whether it's OCR or other offices that might get involved with AI, but also PHI and being misused for AI purposes? How soon might we see either guidance or enforcement actions related to that?
1: Well, it's a tough area because, you know, generally, regulators only get glimpses into what's going on through certain avenues, so there might be a breach, there might be a patient complaint, um, there might be a whistleblower, or there might be kind of a randomly selected audit. And of those, most of them are not going to lead down the road towards um, a regulator scrutinizing AI development. I mean, a patient has no idea if their information is ultimately being used to develop AI. Um, Now, we did see one case where uh, Project Nightingale involving Google, where there was a whistleblower um, brought that to um, the media's attention. And we did see that OCR indicated that they were opening up an investigation response. But that's the last we heard of it, as far as I know. And so um, I have not heard anything on the horizon about um, AI guidance or anything like that. And there's limited visibility for the regulators. And frankly, you know, the regulators have their hands full right now on other things. <laughs>
0: Speaking of them having their hands full, what are you watching most when it comes to the HHS OCR world?
1: Oh, there's a lot to see. So, you know, we, we had, back in January 2021, a notice of proposed rulemaking, and that's, frankly, the least interesting thing out there. You know, it, it has a lot of things related to coordination of care that, frankly, I think were permissible, even without the regulatory clarification. I think much more interesting is the recent think December proposed rule on revising 42 CFR Part 2, the regulations governing um, substance use disorder information. And uh, that's going to have huge implications because amongst other things, it creates breach notification requirements related to that rule. It brings the HIPAA enforcement mechanisms into play, creating a much higher risk of enforcement in that area. Um, and even though SAMHSA has tr- traditionally been associated with that rule, OCR has taken the lead role on that rulemaking. And then more recently, we have a proposed rule on supporting reproductive health care privacy. Um, obviously, OCR is stepping into a field of landmines on this one, um, but they're not afraid to do so. I mean, this is a big in- uh, a priority of the administration. And they struck a very interesting middle ground, where essentially, They're respecting state law on the most part in that if, it is, if a particular procedure, for example, is unlawful in a state, then they will not get in the way of disclosures of protected health information to law enforcement and to courts related to that procedure, unless it's required or authorized under federal law like Imtala. In contrast, if it's authori- if it's lawful in one state, they are willing to preempt state laws in other states where those other states might try to get a hold of that information. So, for example, Idaho passed a law where... If you take a minor to another state and they get an abortion in that other state where it may be legal, um, you could be found in violation of Idaho law for doing so. And so if you're in Washington, for example, you would not need to disclose under the proposed rule to an Idaho court who might be looking to prosecute someone for bringing a minor, minor over state lines in that case.
0: Typically, HHS OCR kind of takes its time when it has a proposed rule, you know, their comments phase, they read the comments and then you sort of wait and wait and wait for a final rule. Do you think they'll move faster on this one just because it's such a hot area right now?
1: I do. I think that um, of the different rulemaking, um, my guess is that the reproductive health privacy is their top priority. Uh, that being said, they're going to probably get a whole lot of comments on this. It's going to take time to go through those comments, um, but it may significantly delay. You know, We were expecting the rulemaking with respect to the 2021 notice of proposed rulemaking to be finalized in March, um, but that may get delayed based on them really focusing their efforts on having put out recently this reproductive health rule um, and, you know, those other efforts. And there is a requirement, a prohibition, I should say, in HIPAA that you may not amend the same HIPAA standard or implementation specification more than once every 12 months. And all these rules actually affect one implementation specification in particular, the notice of privacy practices. And so they either have to bring them, do them all at once in finalization or stagger
0: them quite a bit. Thanks, Adam. I've been speaking to Adam Green. I'm Marianne kopasek mcgee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.